Hi, I'm Tan Katachanis, and I'm hosting the JC Deco Digital Changemakers podcast for a special summer series all about breaking barriers for growth. The Digital Changemakers podcast showcases industry research and insights to inspire senior marketers to push the boundaries on their marketing strategies and become change agents in their organizations. Last month, we had an inspiring conversation with Ian Whittaker and my fellow guest, Precious Oyelade, from the Google for Startups Black Founders Fund, talking about how Google and JC Deco help support brand growth for Black, Asian, and multi-ethnic brands. For this summer series, I'm thrilled to bring you three such founders who have scaled their brands using the power of the public screen. They're here today with amazing stories, ready to share the biggest barriers they faced in scaling their businesses and how they've overcome them, showcasing a positively pioneering approach to smashing stereotypes and breaking new market opportunities. We have Ugo Agbai, co-founder of Rucker Hair, a brand that stands up for black hair, demonstrating by example that hair care is not just a luxury, but a necessity for some. I'm sure these stories will help us learn and be inspired to create positive change in our organizations and communities. True business pioneers, true inspiration. Hi, Ugo. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us today. Just to get us started, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, about the brand, and also a little bit of a background of how you brought the brand to market? Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me. Um, so obviously, I'm Ugo. I'm one of the co-founders of Rooker Hair. We are a UK-based um, beauty company uh, focusing on hair solutions for people with curly hair. Um, about myself, so I, I think starting off with like more of a personal background. So I was born in South London. Um, you know, my ethnic background is Nigerian. Uh, so my family is very much Nigerian. We're specifically Igbo. Um, and I think like a lot of people of kind of my demographic, I grew up with very thick um, Afro hair. And I remember when I was younger, you know, I used to very much attribute like going to a salon with a lot of kind of pain and anxiety because, you know, at the time, most people would basically texturize or relax, which is uh, basically two words for chemically straightening Afro hair at that time. So my mum refused to do that for me. So she would not uh, put any chemicals on my hair, but it just meant that every time she'd take me to a salon, where for her, you know, she's looking for these salons to give her a little bit of respite. She's looking for someone else to do my hair for her. Um, they're typically trying to overcharge her because my hair is natural, because my hair is thick, because my hair is long. Um, and that was pretty much my, my you know, experience growing up and getting my hair done. And so very much by the time I was kind of 16, you know, I decided, look, you know, my body, my hair, my choice. And I went to texturize my hair, which is kind of like marketed as a less aggressive form of a chemical straightener, um, much to my mom's kind of despair. But I said, you look, this is going to make my life easier, going to make my hair more, quote unquote, manageable. And so that's what I chose to do when I was, a, I was 16. I guess the irony of that was as soon as I did that, my hair became almost like my hobby. <laughs> and not in the most fun way. So suddenly I was spending, you know, at the time I was working as a tutor whilst I was in sixth form, I was probably spending like maybe 60, 70% of my paycheck on going to the salon more now for corrective uh, uh, things, right? So I'd go to do a treatment because my hair was thinning. Um, I'd get a trim because my split ends were dry, like, you know, driving up my hair. And 
it was just this massive ironic point when it comes to me and my, my hair, my relationship with my hair, um, where, you know, I've done this procedure and it's been marketed to me as this thing that's going to make my life easier. But if anything, it's making my life much harder and I'm having to spend more and I'm having to, I guess, learn about how to correct this thing as opposed to what I wish I would have had growing up was learning how to, you know, actually take care of my natural hair as it was, right? I think that's quite important context. So, you know, at the same time, I was very much a nerd, loved STEM, um, and I ended up going to study biomedical engineering. Wow. So by the time I got to uni, you know, I'm during the day, I'm kind of taking biomed biomedicine uh, modules and engineering modules and I'm going home and I'm trying to like figure out in my kind of uni kitchen, what concoction can I put together to stop my hair from pretty much falling out at this stage? And I decided to go natural. And it's something that I think a lot of women, again, from my demographic, it's like a very common story. It's hardly unique um, that, you know, you go through the chemical relaxer journey and then you go natural and you start cutting your hair and, you know, trying to get back to that natural form and I guess for me it's it's really important um, kind of a backdrop to Rook and what we do with the brand because I think like many women you know you're almost taught that your natural hair as it is is difficult mm -hmm. and is something to be managed and you're marketed stuff that's supposed to make it easier and normally those things that you're marketed are things that revert your your natural hair texture, right? Mm -hmm. And that's something that has a real personal health impact on you, as well as a psychology impact, right? Um, and I, I think for me, you know, that, that irony of being at a uni where I'm, I'm during the day learning all this amazing stuff around bioengineering and biomedicine, but at home I'm struggling to find, um, you know, true information standardized and like agreed upon information about how to take care of my hair and at that time you know I didn't know the the Afapes of the world Afape is a trichologist um, and our product lead on our team I didn't know around trichology which is like this kind of this space around hair science I didn't know about that and I think even if I did I wouldn't have been able to access it you know I think it's fewer than one percent of trichologists globally are black and cater to afro afro hair so you know, at that time, it's kind of like I already knew that my passion for, you know, uh, beauty and personal health, there's something in there around Afro hair care. And so whilst I was at uni, um, I decided that I didn't want to be a coder uh, or a, a lab technician in a dark room. I ended up working for a consultancy firm. And there I spent a couple of years working with clients all the way from, you know, your larger consumer health clients all the way to, you know, smaller beauty companies. And these are these are companies that would um, work across the UK, the US, Asia. One of the clients I uh, worked with was based in Nigeria. And the common thread across all of them was that, to be honest with you, really understanding, um, you know, underserved segments was tough. You know, both from an, uh, you know, an economic standpoint in, in what is going to make us the most money in the most profitable way. But even when it came to like DNI and inclusion, right, it just wasn't really on the agenda to look at a, a segment or a consumer like our one where, you know, when you look at purely look at the numbers, it seems as though, you know, uh, folks who would end up buying Afro hair care and that kind of product is a small group. But when you actually look at the buying pattern, it's completely different, right? We, we spend a disproportionate amount. I think the stat now is, you know, we spend, uh, black women spend up to 13 times more on hair mm -hmm. extensions, six to eight times more on hair care and beauty than our white counterparts, right? But these are the stats that are harder for these larger companies to really address and look at. And so, you know, whilst I was at this consultancy firm, I really saw that and saw that dynamic play out. And at the same time, I think beauty for me became even more of a passion where I love to be able to explore you know, makeup and skincare and cosmetics. I think everyone in lockdown found skincare as their thing to do in their spare time. But, you know, that whole space is all around exploration and fun. 
But hair for me at that time didn't feel fun. It still felt stressful. It still felt like I didn't know where to find my information. I didn't know who could help me. It felt like I was spending a lot but not getting much back. And I think, you know, at that time, you know, lockdown came. Tendai was having a very similar experience, Tendai being my co-founder. And I think what we what lockdown really showed us was the significance of this like space. Because fewer than one percent of hair salons on the high street dedicate are dedicated to afro hair Mm -hmm. so you're finding that you have a consumer group who typically does their hair every four to six weeks either that's a cultural thing or that's a personal health thing similar to me if if i if i've done a chemical relaxer my hair's falling out yes i need to go to a salon to help to correct it right but you're in lockdown and you can't access a salon you can't access your products you know ruka was very much birthed in that period where we realized this is something that is both an aesthetic aesthetically important but actually from a personal health and like a science perspective extremely important to this consumer but they go underlooked and they go underserved and so we wanted to build a brand that really understood and saw the consumer for their full suite of needs um, from looking good and feeling comfortable and confident but all the way to actually products that truly work for our textures as they are uh, without changing without manipulating Um, and so we built the brand at that point at that point is very much around you know kind of DIY extension and things you could use at home that you know didn't require too much manipulation of your natural hair but I think where we've got to between then and now is actually building out a suite of products so we have you know styling products um, you know cosmetics uh, tools um, our edge slick which is like a kind of edge um, award-winning edge tool um, to help kind of style your edges without uh, causing too much damage to them Um, you know that's something that's extremely popular as well Um, and we've very much taken this kind of ethos of using R&D um, and science-driven, a science-driven approach and an engineering-driven approach, to be honest with you, um, to look at this problem, uh, which I think is something that we've just, I didn't grow up with and I definitely wish I did, but I'm glad that now we exist and yeah, that's something that people can look to. So what's the reception been like? Because clearly you're like, um, you're filling a need in the market. Mm. The feedback must be phenomenal. Tell me yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah, it's been crazy. And I mean, you know, when we started the journey, I think the very first thing that we did was we actually, um, you know, on Instagram, we asked uh, everyone in, in the audience, you know, in our early audience, you know, to if you wanted to join and explicitly join us in building this brand, sign up here. Uh, and it's what we call our co-creator program. And this is basically a group of people who have signed up to either join our focus groups, join in on R&D, uh, get our first launches, um, join our community kind of events, etc. And I think it's really important because that was, you know, we were pre, pretty, pretty much pre-product. And already you had this thriving community of people who were excited even at the idea of somebody wanting to take a different approach to this. And I think that has really grown into something incredible since then. I think, you know, um, f- whether it's, you know, the pop-ups that we've done, we did a pop-up uh, with Westfield that was supposed to be a four-week experiment on their end, actually turned into what is still a thriving partnership and we still find ways to work together. And we ended up at Westfield in this residency for like consecutively maybe like four or five months. Um, and that was amazing because again, you know, people would walk into a Westfield where typically with Afro hair care, you're not walking, typically you're not walking into a Selfridges or a big mall to find your products. You're going to an off-license equivalent 
um, store, which frankly, you know, these are wholesale driven stores. Um, they have a, num a mixture of products that are potentially counterfeit. They also have aisles dedicated to skin lightening creams mm. as well. So it's not a space really that you're looking to uh, feel good about yourself or excited by new products or, or even have anybody with any form of education kind of telling you about what could work for you and your specific hair type, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's the backdrop. And so people walking into Westfield and seeing our brand there and seeing sales assistants who, you know, actually want to stop and talk. You know, some of the early feedback we got was, I felt weird about spending longer than five minutes shopping for hair extensions because typically I'm going into these off-license equivalent stores and they're trying to rush me out. They're following me around to, to make sure I don't <laughs> take anything and then they're trying to rush me out because they don't have anything to say. Whereas we would pride ourselves on having, you know, 30-minute, 45-minute conversations with people. And sometimes this is the first time they've stopped in a store and had that level of detail around their hair and what could be good for their hair. So, you know, I think from that end, I think immediately people saw the value that we were bringing beyond just the product. It's also in that experience. Um, and it's also in that credibility, right? Because we're bringing along with us experts in the space. We've mm -hmm. worked with Everyone from like celebrity stylists, salon owners to trichologists um, to really bring to market uh, the products. And so the reception from that from that perspective has been like absolutely incredible. Um, yeah. That must be so good for the brand in terms of awareness, like mm -hmm. you say, in terms of credibility. And in fact, I am I correct in thinking that Serena... Williams yeah, has used your product as she well? She has, she has. Tell so, me how so that happened. How that happened. So... It's actually a really funny story. I think, you know, I spoke about already the co-creator program. I think one of the really exciting things that span out from that, and I think from also us proactively looking to salon owners and stylists to work with, when we first got going, we were doing co-creator like focus groups and uh, research interviews, but we were also doing that with stylists and salon owners. And that was because we wanted these hair extensions, like the initial product to be pretty much like the best that anybody had seen in terms of texture match, in terms of uh, the safety of the attachment styles, etc. And I think from there, what happened was, again, similar to the consumer who were like, okay, these guys are doing something different here. We spoke to these salon owners who were like, okay, I've never been approached and asked these kinds of questions before. And that grew into a stylist community that we're so proud to have now. I think it's like 300 plus um, stylists, salon owners, wig makers uh, in kind of theatre and TV um, who are excited about what we're doing, who will regularly purchase from us, who will also just share insights with us as well. And so the way that Serena came about was, you know, one of the stylists in our community. Um, she had been doing Serena's uh, hair for kind of the different matches that she had. And obviously this is the penultimate kind of uh, match before her very last one, right? And she was in Wimbledon. And her stylist called us up and said, hey, we've had a massive issue. Pretty much you guys are the folks I know I can go to to get something that will work. Could you get me this in like two days or one day or whatever? Um, so we managed to get her. What we got her was the Think Kink um, bundles, which is, you know, one of our textures that's designed to match perfectly 4C kinky hair um, and Serena wore that in kind of like a ponytail style for this match which was incredible and I think what a lot of people didn't necessarily realize when we were talking about it was how organic that came about right this wasn't a paid product placement or anything like that it was genuinely her stylist reaching out mm -hmm. um, and you know Serena obviously afterwards kind of like thanking us and you know really enjoying the products and enjoying working with it in that sense and I think you know it's both I think it's it, it's something that personally has shocked me on this journey. There's folks in our community or like, you know, community leaders that you'd imagine anything that they needed, like they could just get, 
right? It's a matter of money. And I think what's so interesting about this space is that even with all the money in the world, mm-hmm. you are still struggling to find something that is credible and legitimate, right? Mm-hmm. You're still having issues as literally Serena Williams is stylist. Like she knows what a good product looks like and how to find one, but she still has issues, right? Um, and so I think for me, that was quite a powerful moment because it both obviously was us connecting with Serena, um, but also it was us saying, look, like, we are, tr- we are building a product suite that you can truly trust, mm-hmm. um, trusted by professionals and trusted by people who, frankly, Serena has bigger things to worry about than whether her hair is like going to fall apart. <laughs> Do you know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. She's busy trying to win a trophy <laughs> yeah. here, you know? And, um, and so, we, you know, since then, I think we've been ex- extremely excited even to work with other um, amazing high-performance athletes. We've worked with Dina Asher-Smith, Imani oh. Lara. Um, these are all folks who, again, they are busy like getting things done. And I think it's, it's also what we see in day-to-day. You know, yeah. you want to be at work. You want to have an amazing time at your birthday or your wedding or whatever. And you don't want to think about your hair not working. You know, that's the worst thing to happen. Um, And so, yeah, it was an amazing moment for us. That is incredible. So this series of podcasts is all about breaking barriers. Mm -hmm. So you've, you know, you've got credibility, you've got brand fame from Mm -hmm. working with, you know, celebrities, you know, women that are just getting things done and you're allowing that to happen, but they're still having problems sourcing and finding product that's right for them. Yeah, totally. You know, so there's some some systemic issues here as well. Like, you know, you talked about STEM as well and how um, you are the target audience, right? Mm -hmm. But... Mm -hmm the information is just not there. Mm-hmm. You know, the science, you know, it's it's not like easily available for you to get. So tell me a little bit about some of the um, barriers mm-hmm. that you've had to overcome yeah. to get your product to market because this is what this podcast is all about, breaking yeah, yeah, barriers. Yeah. And breaking clearly barriers. you're doing it. You're doing it well. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. I think I'd say, to, to sum it in one word, I think I would say representation, right? And I think what I've spoken about already is a representation when it comes to actually developing the product in the first instance. As I said, there are very few, you know, trichologists who are kind of part of the chartered group um, who are also dedicated and super knowledgeable on Afro and, uh, Afro and curly hair textures. And I think when you then look at people who have dedicated their careers to understanding hair science or, you know, even like product design um, when it comes to Afro hair as well, you know, if you look at some of the big innovators on hair, you look at the Dysons of the world, etc., um, you see this almost this divide, right, where you're either looking at brands that are fully dedicated to Afro and curly hair, but they have their own issues and scaling Um, and then you look at kind of you know brands that are a little bit more kind of you know the way they market is a bit broader but they'll find that a significant number of their consumers are of Afro curly hair uh, textures but they won't innovate with us in mind first right at the end of the day you're innovating last for people with Afro curly hair and I think that already creates a barrier right because what that kind of perpetuates is this idea that in the space this is a consumer that can come last and it's okay and we see that in beauty. We see that we've seen the whole movement in, uh, you know, foundations with Fenty coming out and saying, mm. actually, we're going to go like with, you know, people of color first and then, you know, other brands following suit. But I think with hair, it's this weird space where we, we, we know we spend a disproportionate amount, but we don't see ourselves being innovated for first. And that's one barrier. And I guess... Speaking more on like what happens when you do have a brand that's serving, you know, uh, Afro, Kylie, people of color first, you know, there are then barriers to even bring that product to market past the, the, the NPD room and the development room. Um, you know, the stat uh, I saw the other day from the Chartered Institute of Public Relations, where fewer than 8% of communications professionals are anything other than white. 
And, you know, I don't need to tell you like what that means for how you kind of market your brand, right? Who Who is going to be the person that writes that article that talks about the brand, not in terms of a niche or in terms of this kind of extremely small space, but actually in terms of something that is significant and powerful. You know, when we um, first launched into Selfridges, mm-hmm. um, you know, nearing the end of last year, we were placed in um, Business of Fashion which is like quite a significant publication for any new thing happening in like the beauty space, which is excellent, but it's something that we don't see that often, you know? Um, We've also been in Vogue, we've been in all these publications now, but again, like, you know, as much as we're always excited to be there, the question always has to be, you know, why are we kind of the few and the first? (laughs) Mm. And hopefully we're not the last, right? And these are the spaces to talk about the brand um, in terms of its vision and its breadth and its importance and its relevance in a mainstream way and not in a this is like a little think piece I'm doing because it's Black History Month it needs to be like this is actually a significant brand that has impact on you know uh, real people right um, and so I'd say that's another barrier that we've had to really break through and I think something that you, you, you underestimate I think as um, as, a, as a brand owner what you want to do is focus on on building a product that people love and pushing it out there. But when you have to fight the the publication rooms and the, you know, marketing agencies to really get across the right story and get it in the right place um, and really like reiterate the significance of it, it's, it's another challenge that I think, you know, founders like my counterparts I don't know how much they need to deal with it I think marketing in general is tough but I think having to also fight both for the brand but also for the industry as a whole it's like come on (laughs) you know one problem at a time (laughs) so Ugo you uh, won the competition with JC Deco Mm -hmm. through the Google for Startup Black Founders Fund Mm -hmm. to have your your product and the Rucker brand on out of home screens yeah so how do you think Out of Home is going to help you overcome some of those barriers? We're so excited, by the way. I, I just want to say that. I'm super excited. <laughs> so excited. <laughs> Honestly, so excited. And I mean, like, again, on this topic of being the first and hopefully not the last, right? I think when we see um, billboards with, like, people of color and textures and textures that, that are like my own, right? I think it's not often that you see that for a brand, as I said, that innovates first, for this consumer. Um, And so I think the thing I'm most excited about, I say the the two things are number one, you know, I think having Rooka on a billboard, I think actually is like a perfect match to the size of our vision um, for this brand, you know, because we do very much see this as it's a mainstream brand um, serving globally people that have afro and textured hair um and you know the market size is massive and continues to grow and continues to outgrow and outperform um other beauty segments right and i think for us we know that that vision is is huge and so you know a billboard actually makes complete perfect sense for where we're going but i'd say the other thing and again going back to like our the early stages of building the brand we spoke to women who were based in like you know manchester and birmingham and you know even Tendai, who my co-founder, who didn't grow up in London like I did, right? And the kind of lack of accessibility to both products, but also even to representation um, outside of like kind of areas of extreme diversity or at least more so like a London. Um, it's completely crazy. 
And so even something as significant as seeing, you know, someone who looks like you with your hair texture, promoting products that are for you, you know, mm-hmm. specifically for you. I think that's going to be massive. And I, I remember when we first um, launched in Selfridges, we had this pop up that was like, if you've been to Oxford Street Selfridges, when you first walk in, you walk through the perfume uh, kind of aisle. And then there's like this big area where brands normally kind of launch a new thing. And we were there for like a week or so. And I remember the first lady who kind of came and saw it and she saw this like massive, you know, we had this massive panel that had like three, you know, women of color with different hair textures there. And she literally started crying. And she was like, I've just never, I just never thought that in my lifetime, I'd walk into this kind of space where there are all these kind of legacy brands with like LVMH and all these other brands around. I never thought I'd see this. I never thought I'd see someone who looks like my daughter, like Mm -hmm. here, you know, and I never thought I'd be able to like touch and feel, you know, hair extensions and hair products that are genuinely for me. And so I think the thing that I'm very excited by, of course, there's the big vision of what we want to do, but there's also, I guess, the kind of individualism of what we're doing. And I think to be able to walk down the road in a relatively kind of like uh, area where it's maybe less diverse, but see a billboard that you know, has someone who looks like you on it. I think I'm just incredibly excited for that. Yeah, I'm excited as well. I can't wait to see you on JC the Coast screens or any screen for that matter. Any screen, Any screen yeah. for that matter. But what else are you hoping to achieve from the Out of Home campaign? So representation, mm-hmm. you know, something that's going to feed our souls. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, seeing people that look like us, seeing people that look like our children on those billboards and on those screens. But what about from like a business growth perspective? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really important point. So I think for us, right, we've been... Um, um, we've been on a journey. Um, we've we've started the journey fundraising. So mm-hmm. we're actually a VC-backed uh, startup, um, which again, you know, access to VC funding as a woman, let alone as a black woman, is crazy. I think it's like 0.00 something mm-hmm. percent of women access VC funding, especially like uh, kind of when you, uh, you're raising more than one mil, one mil or whatever. And so I think any access to, you know, advertising with a budget like this is already an incredible, uh, incredible opportunity. And I think what that allows us to do in terms of like managing our acquisition like costs and reaching people that we wouldn't necessarily have been able to reach purely on a kind of paid channel, digital channel kind of way, right? I think most brands uh, in our kind of stage of, of of life cycle, I guess, you know, you'd want to be, uh, you'd want to invest in out of home. And we've seen kind of like, we've done like guerrilla marketing before, which has been incredible uh, around our pop-ups, but we've never been able to actually have as, you know, kind of significant a campaign as this with out of home. And so for us, I think in terms of growth, it's, it's super critical. And we are at the point now where, you know, we, we have a, you know, flourishing and growing community. But I do think that we're so kind of London focused that mm-hmm. being able to really spread the word and the awareness of the brand further than that and really grow kind of eyeballs in that way mm-hmm. without having to literally pay for every eyeball um, mm-hmm. in a kind of digital kind of channel uh, is amazing, you know. And I think it's also... Um, I think it's also important how we partner kind of the way that we do the physical campaign with physically turning up. So mm-hmm. I mentioned that we are in Selfridges in London now, but we're also kind of expanding that out as well. And so from a retail perspective, we will be growing, uh, physically growing. And I think obviously, you know, part of almost the, ca- the activation for that will include this out of home campaign. And so mm-hmm. I think it's both a, you know, a customer acquisition thing, but also a, you know, fueling the retail expansion that we are doing right now, mm-hmm. um, and which I think is a big part of our growth looking forward is how we grow uh, from a physical footprint standpoint. So, you know, it's, it's, it's super important from a growth perspective and something that, again, I think would be otherwise very tough to access uh, at this stage. So. so what 
are the plans for for uh, Rooker moving forward? And also, importantly, where can I go get it if I'm listening? I'm thinking this is definitely a brand for me. Yeah, absolutely. So I've mentioned a few times we're in Selfridges, which is super exciting. Um, and you'll soon be able to shop, uh, you know, for Rooker, both, you know, in the London store, but also in the Birmingham store soon too. Um, um, we also have a partnership with Amazon that is going live soon uh, and that's really exciting you know we are going to be working with their salon uh, and to be like an exclusive uh, partner with them there and I think that's again important because these are spaces that otherwise you know as I said you know fewer than 1% of uh, hair salons on the high street are dedicated to us and so I think it says something big that we are partnering with them to, to develop that service um, but also of course we have our own .com um, so rookahair.com is where you can find like the full kind of range of product. Um, and I think we have a few kind of exciting activations coming up as well. Very, very excited. Alongside the uh, Out of Home campaign, we will be having an uh, ITV partnership go live too. Um, so please, you know, stay tuned to, uh, if you watch Love Island, if you watch any of the ITV kind of breakfast shows, you will very likely see us uh, going live there, which is very exciting. And with that, we have a few more products that are going live um, as well. So anyone who is listening who you know is interested in braiding hair or anything like that we're going to have you covered very very soon um so i think you know for us uh, to to kind of summarize i think we are really excited about how we continue to innovate across product you know we very much want to be this kind of like all-in solution um where you know you have the uh water spray bottle that goes with your microfiber towel that you use with your braiding hair that you use with the styling gel and so being able to shop with us for that entire suite of products is really important um, to us and something that we, yeah, pretty much will be working on going forward. Um, and I think kind of the back end of that for us, uh, or at least what we're, you know, uh, running around to do to do is both the marketing and how we show up in, in physical retail, but also how our kind of like supply chain and ops supports that as well. So, you know, we're moving into a new warehouse space and we're going to have our own kind of showroom space, etc. And so, yeah, just lots of exciting things. I think the best way to follow us on the journey is to follow us on Instagram, where we'll do as like as many kind of announcements and stuff that happen as possible. Wow. That's a, you're blazing a trail. You're blazing a trail. It's like, wow, you know, you, I thought I was busy. <laughs> so one last thing that I'd like to ask you is, um, can you share with our listeners something that you've learned or, um, you know, just some inspiration for anybody in their organization who's thinking, you know what, I, I, I want to make a, I want to make a positive change. Yeah, totally. Um, I remember like where I used to work at, at my um, my old consulting firm um, where, you know, I had an amazing experience, but that was very much shaped by mentors who, you know, whether they were women, whether they were people of color, like or not whatsoever. I think there were people who really saw me, understood me and knew what I cared about. But I remember having this conversation with someone who, you know, at the time I did a lot of work around the black network there. And I remember like one of my kind of like manager, mentor folks sat me down and he basically was like, look, you know, do you realize that your kind of peers and your counterparts, they get to go to work and go home? They aren't necessarily like using their spare time at work, which doesn't exist, to do kind of like activism or anything like that, right? They're just turning up and going home. And he said it not because he didn't think it was important, but he's like, you know, you, you have to make that side of like what you do at work, work for you as well. Mm. Right. Um, otherwise, it's, you're just, you end up being penalized for doing that extra work. And I guess, I think it still resonates with me, that kind of message where what I realized in that conversation was, I'm never going to be someone who doesn't turn up to do extra. 
yeah. um, for the, the things that matter to me. And so I guess my piece of inspiration, right, in building this brand, for example, we wanted to bring, you know, a science-driven approach to the hair industry. What we actually are ending up doing is like, innovating on how retail works you know we're fighting for a space in retailers that otherwise haven't looked at our product we're fighting for you know campaigns and bringing those like massive kind of dream level campaigns to life we're fighting for space in publications that otherwise haven't spoken about our kind of brand and I think for some people they don't they wouldn't want to do that fight (laughs) but I think you have to look very much inward and say is that a fight worth doing and so I'd say you know my kind of nugget of you know kind of takeaway thought is look at the space that you're operating in if there's something that's really important to you to kind of further what what you're doing and that that might be a DNI thing like a diversity and inclusion thing it might be something completely completely different it might be a specific um, client that you know you think should be should work a different way I think you know use the opportunity in the space that you have to do that work. It's worthy work, if that makes sense. Um, and it's something that you'll look back and remember. I, ugh, as much as I loved my time at the, at the firm I worked for, the things I remember are the, are the things that still exist today, which is like a growing black community mm-hmm. of juniors that never existed when I was there. Mm-hmm. I think when I, when I look back at the time you know, at Rooker, the things I remember are the woman crying when she saw a billboard. I don't remember the back and forth emails I had to do to fight to get there. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so for me, it's like, you know, thinking about what what really matters and I guess what kind of is legacy building. Because um, for us, we're all about building a brand that has legacy and still exists, mm-hmm. you know, 10, 15 years down the line when my sister and my sister's kids are looking for, you know, hair products, right? And so I think, yeah, my takeaway thing is what are you doing in the space you're in to, again, kind of build that kind of legacy because um, it's worthy work. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Ugo. Thank you for having and me. We absolutely can't wait for your privilege and honour to have you on our screen. Can't <laughs> so wait. Excited. Can't wait. Congratulations and thank no, you. Thank you. If there's anything you'd like to ask us or hear more about, you can visit the JC Deco Digital Changemakers Hub online. We hope you enjoyed listening and wherever you get your podcasts, don't forget to subscribe, like and share. 